I believe the three most dangerous words in the English language are should, would, and could. Because no matter what you did, somebody will come back and say, well, you should have done this. And it's, uh, it's kind of like a big weapon that other people uh, try to get you to internalize in your own brain that no matter what you do, you have this notion that you should have done something else. I often say what, what we all seek, what we really need in the world of hope is an upgraded identity. And that is a, a true positive moving future when you don't have to say I'm sorry for who I was. I'm only excited for who I'm becoming because I'm becoming more of who I am. The only difference between the internally driven person and the externally dictated person is they take their experience much more seriously than other people's opinion of their experience. Let's talk about an external identity crisis. And uh, this began, Dan, with you saying something that really caught my attention, which is if you know who you are, you don't need anyone else to tell you. So first of all, why don't you tell us what you mean and what you meant when you said that. And then you had another gigantic hook today that I, I can't wait to dig into. So take it away. Yeah, well, um, one of the things I realized is that there's, um, you know, the, the uh, people living in today's world are a bit binary, and the one side is about 99.9% people, and the other one is the one-tenth of one percent. And um, the one-tenth, of, I'll start with the one-tenth of one percent, because it's actually an aspiration for the other 99.9%. And the aspiration is, I would really like to know who I am, Okay. Wow. But they take a wrong turn in trying to find that out because they keep asking other people who they are, okay? And uh, their other people's opinion is at a certain point becomes greater than their own experience of who they, they are. So they, I don't know when it happens. I think it happens fairly early in life. And uh, entrepreneurs are a special class uh, of people because they don't follow the path that other people say they should, you know, older people, parents, teachers, yep. and so on. And they say, well, you should go into this and you should. And the operative word there is should. And I believe the three most dangerous words in the English language are should, would, and could. Okay. Because no matter what you did, somebody will come back and said, well, you should have done this. And it's uh, it's kind of like a big weapon that other people uh, try to get you to um, internalize in your own brain that no matter what you do, you have this notion that you should have done something else. So you go back outside and get other people's opinion yeah. about what I should do now. And my feeling is you can settle that really early just by telling yourself who you are and kind of ignoring what other people say. Oh man, there's a a lot to unpack there. Uh, does this take you back? Does this take you back to the Midwest? <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Well, um, the phrase that uh, there's a Tony Robbins saying he and I don't know if he made it up. He says, "Yeah, you're shitting all over yourself right now," and um, um, and then I started jokingly call it. I'm going to go take a should right now, but <clears throat> paying attention to your language patterns and 
and how often you react or respond to should, would, or could, or how often you say it to yourself does say a lot about who you are. And, um, and I think, you know, someone who lives a life of many regrets lives in the world of shoulds, um, shoulda, woulda, couldas. So that's, um, and I also think about, you know, right now, um, so I've, I think I mentioned this to you in the past, I've been reading the entire Dune series, even the ones after Frank Hebert passed. And um, so his son picked up the mantle. And um, one of the things that I really love about these books is they're a deep dive into looking at human society for millennia. Um, and the books actually take place over thousands and thousands of years. And um, one of the characters actually lives for like over 3,500 years. And the reason this is so valuable right now is because I'm looking through these lenses of the development of the most powerful characters who are also representative in our own cultures and our societies. And even you're looking through the lens of countries um, growing and passing in terms of power. And um, I'm thinking like what, makes for a powerful character so getting back to raising a kid i'm watching zach right now and he's going through this really hard time as a 21 year old figuring out who he is and what his purpose is and he started a little business um creating audiobooks with ai and yesterday one of my books that we did with ai got published by amazon so the process works and he's got a bunch of new business but his struggle is you know his identity came from his friends and of mm -hmm. course, you know, one of the things that you notice is when your kid starts not wanting to play, be with the parents, it's because their identities are wrapped up in, in their friendships and, and what other people think of them. And, you know, societally, that's a huge, you know, it's a it's a disease. And I think it's just part of your cultural conditioning. So um, what I'm getting at here, my big takeaway is once you don't care what other people think of you or uh what society thinks of you and you do things on your terms and you're willing to live with yourself because of it um that really tells you where you are in your own evolution and i've also noticed it when i realized i found my own voice when i could write in a voice and it was truly mine and I wasn't modeling someone else. You really know who you are when you're not copying someone else's style. Yeah. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot of branches we can go down. But I'm just curious about, you know, like when do you feel like? Do you think entrepreneurs are born that way, or entrepreneurs learn to think a certain way to find themselves and create their identities? Um, and when do you think, or what are the conditions that cause someone to realize who they are when you don't have an external identity crisis any longer where you um don't care what someone else thinks but it's not because of anything more than you know who you are and you're willing to live that way and live with yourself yeah <clears throat> well first of all uh i have a thought that i've had <clears throat> for a long time so i'm just pushing 80 next year and I'll go back to eight years old. And uh, <clears throat> I was fortunate that I grew up 
in the middle of a big family. I'm a number five in the family, but the age differences on both sides, uh, older and younger, are sufficiently that I didn't really play with them. And <clears throat> I didn't really play with other kids until I was in first grade, age six. And But before that, I had really developed the ability to talk to adults simply by asking adults what their experience was, you know. And I had uh, my first really effective question for me was when I was six, I would ask uh, an adult, when you were six years old, what was going on in the world? And, and they would talk and they would talk and they would talk and then they would say something and I'd say, well, can you explain that a little bit more deeply, what was going on there? And they'd talk and they'd talk. And one of the things that I learned very, very early that adults will talk to ever, talk forever and explain things to a child who's really interested in their own experience. Okay, so I'd had a steady diet of that uh, starting probably around five years old, six years old. <clears throat> and I, I found that I could get these big shapes to talk nonstop. <laughs> All you had to do is ask them when you were my age, what were you doing? And immediately they were back to six years old and they were explaining their childhood. And then I'd say, so what was going on in the world? And I, you know, I talked to people who were born in the 1870s, you know, because I was born in 1944. So there was a lot of people who had, you know, been there for the turn of the century. They had been through the First World War. Or it was going on while they were growing up, the Spanish flu epidemic, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression. Yeah. And, and then the, and the, I was born right near the end of the Second World War. And it was like a, a living history book. You know, I just got it filled. And then I would ask another one, and I would check one fact against another. And I would have this growing accumulation of history just from my conversations mm -hmm. with adults. And uh, what I developed is a, sort of a confidence that I could do this for the rest of my life. There was sort of a skill there. And then when I got to first grade, I ran into all these little shapes who had their parents' faces. And they didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. They just So I, I was never influenced by my peers. And I think it's, you know, it's just an accident of birth, an accident where I grew up, but probably a pretty good brain for figuring out where I was. And so I've always had this really central feeling that I kind of now know who I am and I kind of know how to go about my future. <clears throat> and what it did is it made me very, very immune to peer pressure or peer opinion or even adults who were trying to tell me, where I was going with my life. You know, you should do this and you should do that. And I, <clears throat> not consciously, I'm not saying this was conscious because I don't think our brains are fully formed until we're in our mid twenties. But it was enough of an immunity at an early age that I, I, I developed a sense of myself that really wasn't subject um, that much to other people's opinions. So I want to try something out on you, which is I know who I am versus wh who I am is what I do, because that is a strong drive for us entrepreneurs is we have this identity associated with what we do, and that becomes our business. And in a weird way, 
being a great listener and being able to evoke a reaction or response from people is very much what capability or what um, strategic coach is mm-hmm. um, because you, you know, the model of the way you've created the coursework even is asking questions that cause you to think about your thinking, talking mm-hmm. about it with peers and then talking about it with you and you um, effectively select the most intriguing, interesting stuff. Um, that's the showbiz part of strategic mm-hmm. coach, right? It's it's not only entertaining, but you have a mechanism for taking the best ideas and rising them to the surface and the top, which then you build more great ideas on top of. And it's this, uh, it's a culture that encourages that. So in, in a way, it's sort of like strategic coach began in some form when you were five mm-hmm. years old because of your pecking order. Um but I'm going to take that to another degree, which is um, <clears throat> very often then whatever we're good at is hopefully what, how we're able to express ourselves. And if you can, in a perfect world, not be a, become a factory worker, but become an expression worker, right? Now, I always say the one, the step above being a human being is a human expression where you turn your expression into a business that has use and value and other people value it and you could become wealthy from your who you mm-hmm. are and versus what you do um and that, well that exactly that that exactly describes you know my own experience i mean yeah. you've just but i i remember uh, one of our early podcasts i got your first six business careers out of yeah. you and uh and I was just sitting there listening, listening, and I would ask you questions, and I would, but I had done this with hundreds of people, you know, yes. I mean, uh, and um, uh, it opens doors. I mean, if, if a child is inter- interested in an adult, and the, get, the adult learns something from the child's interest, mm-hmm. they, open, they open doors for the child. Yeah. Yes. And I think... Um, I think the one thing that a great coach does is evokes the questions that force the, um, I suppose you could say the apprentice in a way, mm-hmm. into really understanding their purpose and their value um without reinforcing falsehoods right so evoking that <clears throat> and i think what i'm getting at here what i really want to do is just imagine the tool that would help you help young people especially <clears throat> really figure out purpose value identity and if we were going to build in real time right now the best questions that would help someone create their value what might that be and i i've you and i've talked about this before but <clears throat> not not this specifically but something else here's so here's what we talked about and i i tell this story frequently about how i created what is now my current business superpower accelerator when I had sold my last business and I asked you, you know, what do you think I should do next? And you said, well, do the DOS, ask dangerous opportunities and, and strengths to a bunch of entrepreneurs 
it'll be very obvious if you talk to 10, 10 business mm-hmm. owners and founders. And the story I tell is after speaking with two people, I knew exactly what I was going to do next and very possibly for the rest of my life. And now it's evolved into something where, uh, you know, I get to reinvent people for a living and build their new identities. And I, I often say what what we all seek, what we really need in the world of hope is an upgraded identity and that we can live into a full expression of ourselves that supports an evolution without <clears throat> apology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think living, and that is a, a true positive moving future when you don't have to say, I'm sorry for who I was. Um, I'm only excited for who I'm becoming because I'm becoming more of who I am. Um, yeah. All right. So unpack well, that one. Well, the the other thing, uh, just to pick up on a few things you said there, uh, <clears throat> you helped them create a new identity, but they had already created a whole bunch of identities yeah. in relationship to their living through generations, uh, uh, experimenting with different, you know, different um, capabilities, occupations. In my my sense, the only difference between the internally driven person and the externally dictated person is they 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 take their experience much more seriously than other people's opinion of their experience. You know that uh, you know like uh, first first of all, no nobody really you or I or anyone else. Uh, we live in a world of vast experiences that we're making sense of and i think that's unique for every human being mm-hmm. but my sense is that you you make a fundamental decision where you're young well whose interpretation of my experience counts and if somebody else's interpretation of your experience counts you give up on your own interpretation of your own experience yeah oh and I think it's binary. I think there's a fork in the road. And once you get on the external, you're you're trapped in the constant shifting of other people's opinions. But if you take your own experience seriously, then it's a constant evolution of greater insights, greater capabilities, and you um, you you find other people's experience instructive. You find it informative because they have knowledge you don't have. You know, they, they can do things that you can't do. And I find all that useful. Yeah. But it has no bearing on how I interpret my own ongoing growth. Yeah. And I would I would also say happiness. Um, for sure. Yeah, so- I, I don't think there's any happiness in um depending on external feedback to say who you are. And I'll give you a great political example, which always struck me, and it's Hillary Clinton. So when Hillary Clinton was 18 years old and she went to Wellesley, that was the college she went to, a couple of teachers immediately zeroed in on her because she had, you know, she had a strong personality and she she had um, great, uh, you know, presentation skills she was very smart, you know, intellectually, she was very smart. And they told her, you know, we believe that you're going to be the first woman president of the United States. This is at 18, 19 years old. Okay. She's from 
Park Ridge, Illinois, the town that I live in uh, when I'm in Chicago. We, we have our home. And, <clears throat> but um, at that point, she, um, I think she decided that other people's opinions about who she was going to be, and they, you know, they gave her a big goal, President of the United States, first woman President of the United States. That's a big deal. But <clears throat> what I think happened is that Hillary never in the course of her life actually knew who she was. Wow. And then she had the misfortune of, first of all, when she started to get, uh, first of all, uh, she had to get some experience. She had to get to the top. And she married a person who knew exactly who he was. Yeah. <laughs> and so she attached herself to this person. Yep. And then she you know, got to the White House, but she wasn't the president. She was the first lady. And, uh, and <clears throat> I have to tell you, being first lady is not the same as being president. No. You know? And Bill, Bill made a good catch because uh, she gave him a certain kind of credibility that he, you know, he's a, he's a good old white boy from the South, yeah. you know, and, and he's got uh, wandering eyes, you know, yep. and he created a lot of messes and her job was to clean up the messes. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, it was a good deal for him. I don't know if it was a good, I mean, a good deal for her. She became very famous. And then somebody said, well, she, automatically she's going to be the next president. And then she runs on the Democratic side for president. And she runs into another male who knows exactly who he is. Yep. And she's shifting throughout her campaign to get the nomination in 2008. She's shifting from one version of herself. When she goes to the South, she has a Southern accent. Yeah. You know, right. and everything else. Wow. But he's just a constant. Her husband was just a constant. So finally, she gets clear of that. He's gets elected. She's Secretary of State. Again, she's not the president. Yeah. She's Secretary of State. Yeah. And then she has a, a little bit of interim of getting a senator seat in a given Democratic jurisdiction, you know, and then she's going to run for president. And, uh, you know, the byline, it wasn't the official by, byline, it was, it's her turn now. <laughs> yeah. And this, was, this is kind of, she goes back to the, you know, the professors at Wellesley College, and they said, yeah, I've arrived. And then who does she run into in the general election? Someone who knows exactly who he is. You yeah. Know? Oh, hell. And my, my thesis about this is anytime a person who isn't sure of themselves, who they are, runs into a person who knows exactly who they are, the, 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 the person who knows who they are always wins, always comes out on top. Yeah. I'll no, guess, I mean, yeah, I mean, she has, I mean, I'm not discounting any of her abilities. No, her no, not ability at all. In that, but in any situation where she runs into somebody who knows exactly who they are, uh, she comes out second. Yeah. And, and I think the cost, you and I've talked about this before, but I think you could feel her level of resentment is palpable and it's what is incredibly unattractive to anyone who has any male energy whatsoever um you know it's like yeah. we, somebody said she, she reminds every divorced man of his first wife yeah 
the angry ex-wife, not the happy. A- angry, yeah, yeah. angry ex-wife. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I and, think when I, my feeling is, yeah. it's a decision that she made very, very early in life that other people were going to tell her who she was. Yes, and and so the secondary action. You know, you think about it, if you asked any man, what's the most sexually unattractive byproduct of of any female? It would be resentment. You know, it'd be like to be resented is to be hated silently and painfully, you know, and how that yeah. manifests is is horrific. So, uh, oh, that's a good unpacking. So here's here's a yeah, part. Yeah, but, but I just want to say that that uh, by all standards, she's been a very successful person. I totally. mean, anybody, but, but anybody you look at, back at her. Yeah, with your potential but, and it, what I, you could interpret your interpretation of this to be is in order to get to where she thought she could go, she compromised herself and uh, it, and became second, hoping she'd be number one instead of pursuing the number one, which is, and life would have been very different for both of them, obviously. I think probably for this country. Um, I, I agree with you. You know, it's, uh, I've had a, a little bit of, you know, one degree of separation away from Clinton on multiple levels because of Vivian's philanthropic work. And um, one of the things she she told me the first time she met him was how deliciously charismatic he was. And she said it's it goes way beyond sexual energy that this guy has because of just Mm -hmm. how incredibly well he was able to lean in and listen to you and and she, you, you genuinely what she said you genuinely feel like you're the only person not just in the room but in the world while you're in his presence mm-hmm. it, it's his mm-hmm. listening and it's attention a, it's skills. a capability that's a capability you know, it's it's but i don't seduction. think any time yep. since he was a kid he's been wondering who he was i yep. think he, he no and i i think obama was the same way and i uh-huh. think that uh trump is the same same way now i'm not putting any you know good or bad uh, on this at all i'm I'm simply saying that the person who knows who they are doesn't need someone else to tell them yeah and in that case the way i would uh create a little bridge is you figuring out who you were had to do with like you got really good at asking questions and knowing how to captivate and mesmerize someone to talk about themselves which of course anytime someone feels like they're really important and heard and listened to they're going to feel good they're going to walk away which philosophically is important core value of of strategic coach you know always walking away um feeling a uh, i can't remember you have a particular way of expressing it what are the key things people have to walk away with to know they had a great experience well, they learn something. I think yeah. the big thing is that, that you learn something that's useful for you to the fu- in the future. You know, yeah. you just learn something in the present, and that's what I'm looking for in all my conversations. But I've cl- created a feedback loop on this. Yeah, that um, <clears throat> along the way, and you know, it's going on more than seventy years now. I've figured out that if I can ask questions that allow other people to look at their experience and they learn lessons from that, Yeah, that they can immediately see that I'm going to use this lesson in the future. I've created value for them 
and they find it very compelling. Yes. Yes. There we go. Now, it took, it yeah. took me till I was 30 to figure out the business model that goes along with this because, I mean, otherwise you're just a, a you know, a kind of lo lonely, interesting guy living by himself <laughs> and he's worried about the rent. And probably drinking a little, a little too much during the lonely hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, yeah. I, I, I qualify. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yep. Well, okay. So here's the other great distinction that uh, created the basis for this episode, and I want you to dive into just defining this one is what you cannot not do. And yeah. I, I know you've got a story. I've got one that literally is fresh and brand new, and I'm really excited because I, I've learned a couple of incredibly valuable lessons over the past few months, but especially in the past couple of weeks about finding and hiring people. And it's as though, and when you said that one thing, I was like, oh, it was articulated so much better than the way I had been articulating it for the past two weeks. So you first, what does, well, what you cannot yeah, not my, do my, mean? My, yeah, mine relates to, uh, not so by hiring, but who, who do I collaborate with? Ah everything and what i want to know right from the beginning and i ask people a lot of questions about what their experience has been and the reason is i want to see what the unchanging constant is regardless of whether they're 20 years old 30 years old 50 years old and i want to know what is it that they always do that at this point in their life they cannot not do okay they can they cannot not do okay because you can bet on that. You can bet that they're always going to do that. And then I try to arrange my collaborations. So the only thing I require in terms of collaborating with them is the thing that they cannot not do. Because then I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about it at night. I don't have to think about when they're away from me. I know what they cannot not do. Oh. Oh. Okay, so I'm going to give you what... So, so one of the things I went after your experience because you've had uh, you're now in let me say your sixth technological dimension, yeah. You know, uh, and one of the things I know that Mike Koenix cannot not do is whatever the new technology is, he has to master it and integrate it back into the capability he already has. Yeah. Oh, that 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 is the story of my life. <laughs> it's like uh there's a long line my mom used to say this there's a long line of things that have been taken apart and partially put back together and when i and you know the first thing my dad gave me the best thing ever when i was a kid so he gave me power tools when i was like five and and the <laughs> the, the the workshop was never off limits just put my tools back that was the only request he had and i was pretty bad at that honestly um, but he gave me an old fashioned typewriter and I took it apart. So that was filled. If you looked at any old mechanical typewriter, first of all, they were just beautifully sculpted works of art. And I remember it today as though I was four or five and I had a whole bunch of tools and it was filled with springs and gadgets and levers. And just by taking it apart, First of all, it was such an exquisitely perfect 
piece of mechanical machinery. It was artistic and um, heavy and perfectly balanced. Like that thing, a, a mechanical typewriter had to feel good, you know, so it was an aesthetic achievement as well. Get more clients, grow your business with better marketing and messaging, make more money and get a better life with more freedom of time, money, relationship, and impact. Learn more about our three-day one-on-one done with you reinvention workshop. Visit connecttomike.com to book a conversation with me right now. All right, back to the episode. The next big thing I bought with my the first time I made any money, I corn detasseled for summer and bought a, a electromechanical pinball machine. So I learned how <laughs> solenoids worked. And this it was basically a computer controlled by a whole bunch of the rotating <laughs> solenoids and things like that. But the first thing I did, figured out how to take it all apart and clean every single thing. And these relays, I mean, there was a zillion things to go wrong in those things. Incredibly complicated. But for something that was built in the in the early 70s until my parents sold the home um a couple of years ago that thing still worked just fine with almost no nothing done to it sitting in kind of a damp basement right for 40 years so um i think you know if you fast forward my my what that like i've always known just whether it's intuitively or because I got cast into it and I got a lot of satisfaction from figuring out how things work. The reason why I'm pretty good at that now, and it's, you know, helped me out throughout my entire uh, life and career is I'm not afraid to take things apart, figure out how they work and figure out then how to apply it to create value in someone else's life. So I'm rewarded financially, you know, it turns into a job, basically coding was the same way. So um, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, you did it to me, you know, there was, me to talk there about was, myself. So, yeah. Yeah. There was, yeah. But the, um, you know, the thing that I see is that there's a single central activity with you, <coughs> which outside to outsiders seems very, very different because Mike's doing this and Mike's doing that, you mm. know, like, and, and when you told me your history, I said, no, there's a constant R&D project going on here. <clears throat> and some of it requires self-development on your part. You know, you have to be smarter about yourself and combine with being smarter about the world that you're living in. Mm-hmm. And you put the two together constantly. <clears throat> and when you hit AI, people said, people said, What's Mike into now? You know, Mike's uh, Mike's into AI. You know, what about all of the other stuff that he w- was doing? <clears throat> he just put together back the parts that really made. He didn't put the whole thing back together. He just put the parts that served him to to move move forward. <clears throat> and uh, when I first met you, I met you at the Fountain Blue Hotel in uh, Florida. It was an Eben Pagan green room. And I met you at the pool, and I got an instant connection that this is a person who knows who he is. Mm. And I was around the pool. There were a lot of people in that room who were looking for external proof of who they were, you know, at the the pool, everything else. And um, so, you know, we didn't connect right away. I think that you went through your cancer period, you know, and, uh, you know, you joined coach, but then you had to drop out. because you, you had cancer business to yeah, handle. Yeah, yeah. The survival <clears throat> but I always had, 
I always had the sense, you know who you are, oh. you know, and uh, that is, you can build a future on collaborating with people who know who they are because they can't not not do what they're doing. Ah, uh, man. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this. Um, I'm going to do it for two reasons, although it's going to sound like I'm totally narcissistic. So if you were going to communicate just accept that you're totally narcissistic. Yeah, yeah, and, I, yeah. How about I don't apologize for it? Um, but it's a learning experience because I'm going to build my next my next statement and question on this too, which is: so if you had to create a headline, Mike is blank. What would you say if you were going to? So someone says, "Who's who's this Mike Koenig's guy, and why should I talk to him?" What would Dan Sullivan say? I think uh, what I would say is spend three days with Mike Koenix and you'll get a whole new future out of it. Completely packaged, completely focused, complete, uh, uh, completely building on everything you've done in your life before this. How interesting is that? You know, and so what you did there is you made it all about the other person, right? And um, and an accumulation of your interpretation of my history. So it's like it's it's a stack of uh capabilities. So that that was that was useful. So now I'm gonna go down another rabbit hole with you. Uh this is the I'll call this the the end part of this episode, but <clears throat> back to what you cannot not do. So what we recently hired a couple developers because we have integrated now when we're doing our capability, you know, our superpower accelerator and we're inventing someone's future and we're building their next business, their next brand, their next whatever. We're also building and prototyping software in real time. Um, and I think that's for me, the <laughs> ultimate capability amplifier because the um, framework I tell people is, is, you know, in the, in the now future for most people if you use ai for example you can make more money okay and you can genuinely create more value in your organization which passes on to your customer um so you're going to be more efficient or whatever but that's sort of like using a script it's like having an sop or an entrepreneurial operating system whatever it is but then <clears throat> uh but your your the value of your business will remain probably the same meaning it's a multiple of ebitda but if you mm -hmm. um, appify that new capability, so let's say we figure out a, a way to package a person and automate them so then they can effectively have four of you in an organization that's efficient all the time, not only can that make more money, save on costs, but because you've created more predictability in the business, when a buyer sees it, you could actually get a higher EBITDA multiple because it's automated. The <clears throat> What I've been telling people now is, the, and I call it the trillionaire mindset, which is um, if you commercialize that appification, you could actually go out to the marketplace and sell that appification 10 or 100 times and create a subscription income. But the value of that new business, of that appified or automated ip is it would be valued at a multiple of revenue um so it's a it's a different mindset and 
<clears throat> and now I'm thinking about, well, if I can find people, and the way I described it is I hired a, several developers, but the one who really stood out is a young German kid who um, I knew I found the winner when he came back and he had optimized something he had made at least a dozen times over a period of 48 hours. And he said, I can't help myself. I just have to figure out, I know there's always a better way. And he had figured out how to reduce the number of calls to open AI, the platform by 10X, okay? So instead of taking 10 calls, it took one. And then the next thing he did is he figured out how to create these really beautiful reports. So our our tools generate Google Docs and PDF files that look like magazines. You know, they're just beautiful. And um, so he figured out the structuring and the formatting. And I'm like, oh, that's who I, I, you know, I need an aesthetic. Someone who makes things that are not only beautiful, but efficient and cannot help himself. And now when you said what you cannot not do, I realized that will now be the most important question I ask on every application or in every interview. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, for some people, I think they know it uh, intuitively, but they've never expressed it because no one's given them a chance to explain it because most people would never ask that question. No, it's it it requires so many levels of thinking and i even even think human ex experience like successful experience that would come from your internal compass not an external one and that's yeah. why i asked you for what your what your headline would be for me but also my answer to the question so the question i was trying to get to from you today was if we had to devise a series of questions to discover your own identity, that was the question I, I, I wanted to get out of this. And I'd say, well, if you answer the question, what is it that you cannot not do? Um, and the only thing that would be a part two is, is see what they say, but then say that you value and other people value and they'd be willing to pay you for that. Um, that's the entrepreneurial discovery yeah. question. I think I think the uh, there's a there's a obstacle to people coming to grips with that. And I drew a diagram. I, it was in our last workshop. It was uh, uh, you know at the uh, free zone when you were in in Chicago. And I just drew a little circle here, and then a straight line arrow up to a bigger circle. And I said, uh, I'm just drawing a portrait of your entire life. And the little circle is here, and the big circle is there. Okay. And I said, so you've always been here, and you're trying to get there, but there's a habit developing of always being going from here to there. But the habit is that you're never there. So I said, the way I've solved that, I just declare myself there and now just keep adding capability to there. Yeah. Okay. And it has a lot to do with uh, the reason why they're here and they're there is because they're depending on external opinion to define who they are. Mm. In other words, they have, a, they have an ideal of themselves in the future and it's an ideal, it's not a reality, it's, a, it's an ideal. 
And my, my sense is I just declared myself there probably about 30, 40 years ago. I said, I'm there. There's no place I'm trying to get to, but I want to be in a situation where I can constantly expand the there that I, that I am. Mm. So my sense is that the thing that you cannot not do in your life is constant. It's not any different. How old, how old are, what's the exact age now? Me, I'm 57. 57. So you've been at this for 50 years. You've been at your uh, central exploratory model, and that's your central habit. Yeah. So there is there isn't any point in the future where you you won't want to be doing something more. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's your habit. Okay. And um, any anything that ties you down or traps you from expanding it further you immediately reject yeah 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 so yeah if we talk 10 years from now you're still doing this with vastly more capability and vastly more success and vastly more influence in the market okay but it's always going to be the same thing that you cannot not do Mm -hmm. and do you think um you talked about the central habit and the distinction between where you are versus where you want to be. When I think about what ambition is, so ambition is my desire to always get better and to be at a destination. Um, and something I I've I haven't done what you just said, which is just given myself the prize and said, there, you're there. Um, I hadn't thought about it quite through that. I've, I accepted a sense of divine discontent, which is to allow myself to always feel ambitious and never give myself the prize of saying I made it to a destination for the fear that I'd become lazy. And what I realized is not only is that an obsolete belief system, it is, um, you know, it's giving yourself the prize. It's an of, it's an, yeah, it's an obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to it's a certain an illusion. Extent, it doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 And uh, <clears throat> see, my sense is that the uh, ambition is a standard operating procedure for you. It's not wanting or not wanting. It's just that the, the ambition is completely inter- internalized. Okay. Yeah. And whether you're thinking about it or not, you're ambitious, okay? And, uh, you know, and I am too. I mean, uh-huh. my, oh, mine yeah. is, my, mine is uh, there's no stopping point in the future except death, yeah. you know? And, and I pushed that off way into the future. I said, let's, yeah. uh, let's not have that as a present thought, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so my, my sense is, that the moment that you say, okay, uh, I don't have to make myself ambitious. I don't have to gear myself up to be ambitious. I'm just ambitious. <laughs> and it's not fair because a lot of people aren't. Life's not fair. No. <laughs> there's, yeah. ambitious, there's ambitious people and people who <clears throat> feel, oh, I really have to I I got to get something out of myself outside of myself to make me ambitious. And I said, no, no, the ambition is inside of yourself. You're just exploring new ways to express it. Yeah. 
so I'm going to go go to you real fast to to wrap up this episode. When I think about, you know, someone will say like, who's Dan Sullivan? And what's he great at? You know, summarizing strategic coaches is, is always tricky, but it's interesting that I immediately go to Dan's identity is coach and what coach is, is Dan. Um, <clears throat> but if I just said, okay, who's Dan? What What's Dan in, in the way that we described earlier? I'd be like, so what I would have said a month ago is very different than now. It's Dan is a philosopher who loves and has studied history and really understands how people think and and how to understand yourself fully in your pursuit of self-expression mm -hmm. and as it relates to being a business owner and an, an entrepreneur. And, 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 happy, and happy. A happy one. Oh, that is such yeah. a great distinction. Yes. I want entrepreneurs to get the real reward for being entrepreneurs, and <laughs> that is that they... <clears throat> that uh, I saw a cartoon once. There's it used to be the I, I haven't seen cartoons for a long time, so I I don't know if it exists. But it was called Animal Farm. Oh yeah, Animal Farm or Animal? I think it was Animal. I, I'm not quite sure. And there's these two people talking, and one of them says, "I'm reading about this movie star, and he's got. Um, turns out that he's got five mansions. He's got ten cars." And uh, he's enormously successful. He's never had a failure in any of his movies. And he's incredibly popular. And he, he can go out every night with a beautiful woman of his choice. And, uh, <clears throat> and so the other character is listening to this frame by frame and gets to the end. And the other one says, yes, but does it say he's happy? And the guy says, yeah, it says he's very happy. And the other one says, nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the penalty? Where, is there any Where's the penalty? I remember, I remember which, which, which one that is. I do remember that. I don't remember that specific. Animal crackers. Animal, animal crackers. crackers. There you go. Uh, animal uh, farm was uh, George Orwell. Yeah, that was a sad book. Uh, yeah. But I do but, remember. But, uh, but the, the whole point is, what I've noticed is that entrepreneurs are getting success, they're getting reputation, that they, they have money, they have, you know, the, the symbols of success, they have them, but they're lacking happiness. And I think the happiness is uh, that, uh, that they haven't admitted truly and valued that they cannot not do what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. They have to think they have to drive them and they think it's outside factors that are driving them. And I don't think, I don't think it really is. I think it's internal. It's really good. Well, I think this is a perfect place to end this episode because, um, uh, we covered some really, really interesting stuff and, uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about you. I learned a lot about me and I learned a lot about how I've thought in order to get to where I am, but you know, so well, I, you, you I, forgot yeah. one part. You were going to explain the me a month ago and the me, the me now. So, oh, the Dan Sullivan, you a month ago. Yeah. Well, here's what I, yeah, here's yeah, what I, I mean, wouldn't have said. I mean, I, I've got to get some payment. Yeah, you got to get some great payback here. 
I I always say like he's the master of thinking tools and builds these amazing tools. Dan is so ambitious and the most productive human I know. Um, and I brag about you. I say 79 and uh, the amount and volume of work he's created and how he's designed a life around creating and his own form of self-expression and then being able to create momentum amongst a whole bunch of people um is incredible but i didn't <clears throat> i didn't realize how much of a philosopher you are and how that to me is where your core capabilities come from because you know how to not get wrapped up in the unimportant details um, because your anchor in history, your anchor in philosophy enables you to separate yourself from the busy noise. And mm -hmm. and I I couldn't have articulated that uh, until very, very recently. I just had this massive aha. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how I missed that. And maybe I knew it, but I wouldn't I couldn't have articulated it. And I didn't consciously realize it. And, um, and now when I, you know, describe strategic coach, I describe Dan Sullivan to, um, entrepreneurs. I really know how to hook them. Um, when I <laughs> learn a little bit about them and give them my version of the customized headline, depending on, on the who. And, um, and so I, it really does come from that combination of philosophy, history rolled into understanding human psychology and, self-realization um yeah. better than buddha better than buddha well i think uh yeah i mean uh, it's it's like buddha with cash flow you know <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> 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 or socrates with cash flow you know? yeah in sacrifice you don't have to drink the poison you know <laughs> oh what a anyway great yeah well i i am i think or i think i do i think i do have a natural philosophical uh, bent, you know, and I've always been interested. And in, and there's two two things I'd say about this. When you know who you are, you're always the same. Um, you you don't become a different person for different other people. You don't become a different person for other situations. You're still the same person, but you're just growing in understanding of mastery of new situations. You know. And the other thing I would say is that I relate totally going on 80 to who I was at eight, you know. There, there's nothing about the eight-year-old that I think is, uh, you know, is inferior to who I am now. It's just me with the benefit of 80, you know, 70, 70 plus years of experience. And I, but it's still the same person processing the experience. The other thing I feel is that I don't think human beings, I think there's a constant called human nature, and I think they now can push it back a couple hundred thousand years. Some people are pushing it back to a million years. And I think fundamental human nature isn't any different, but we're going through changes of economy, we're going through changes of politics, through changes of technology constantly. But you read things from 2,000 years ago, and they're as smart as anything mm -hmm. you know, uh, written today. And so the people thousands of years ago were just as smart in relationship to what they had available to them 
as people are today. Yeah, it's um, our ability to fold time and uh, stack capabilities and communicate and transport and manufacture, right? It's 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 tools. Um, yeah. And the yeah, mindset thinking, that go along with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's thinking, thinking tools. And uh, um, we're writing a new book. It's just going, it'll go to press in about three weeks. And it's called uh, Everyone and Everything Grows. And it's the backstage description of how we created Strategic Coach over the last 35 years using nothing but thinking tools. Yeah. And the thinking tools we use backstage are the same thinking tools that we provide to entrepreneurs in the front stage. And there's a complete congruity between our front stage and backstage. Okay. And the, the reason I do that is I strive for a complete congruity between who I am when people don't see me and who I am when people do see me. Yeah. All of those are absolutely true. And the the stack is uh to me the value stack comes from the fact that when i started with coach now over 10 years ago the core personality of coach is the same but the vocabulary and power of what can get communicated in a short period of time is significantly higher and your ability to be more effective you know your your camp capability amplification increases because the density of the tools is increasing as well if that makes sense but it's like when you look yeah. at your old tools compared to the new tools first of all you have to understand the vocabulary of coach to really understand some of these things but also when you apply them and you stack them it's like your triple play tool for example it takes some explaining it takes some understanding and you have to understand some prior art and some prior work, but wow, you can't be, you cannot walk away unaffected when you use that tool over a period of 20 minutes or 30 minutes or so. Yeah. 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 And to me, that's the constant. I mean, uh, you have this co constant, uh, what I would say, mastery and backward integration of the latest technology. Okay. Uh, to, provide an entirely new way of for individuals to see themselves in a new light as they go into the future. And mine is constant conversations with talented, successful, ambitious entrepreneurs about the thinking tool that they'll find useful next. And, and, and that's, and that's my life. That's, that's my entire life. So here's two distinctions for you. One of them is I think transformative thinking tools is the the way to to articulate that. But then uh what makes Dan Sullivan truly unique, he's a transformative thinking philosopher, but to me most philosophers are self-centered. You know, philosophy is often self-centered. Yours is external, um meaning it it's it's philosophy that multiplies your capabilities it provides transformative thinking and um i have to think about a better headline to communicate that but i i do think that that's yeah. well my my big thing the proof of my internal reality is that people that i the things that i find useful for myself other people find useful in their own unique right. life yeah and i said that's a proof i mean that's scientific you know i mean 
I mean, one of them subjective because we mm -hmm. don't see ourselves objectively, but the other is objective. You know, um, somebody takes the tool and they get more, they get more or less the same results and they come back with dimensions for using the tool that I can use to strengthen the tool, you know, so it's right. a feedback, positive yeah. feedback. Yeah. And I yeah, but we had a, we had a free zone, um, um, zoom workshop yesterday. And, and one of our clients, Steve Kreitzberg, created a tool right in the middle of the workshop. It was a great tool. And it was called the IP filter, a four-quadrant tool. And uh, he says, it's yours, Dan. You created it here. And I said, well, um, I'll certainly make mention of you. <laughs> but what, what that really pleased me because the, the person is doing uh with our tools uh, they're creating tools and that's i see this as infinitely expandable yeah. yes well that's the uh when uh and I, I say this with love to my fellow uh members um you know it's when the monkeys start making uh tools from the tool they were handed right uh, but um <laughs> yep that, that's the break that's the breakthrough <laughs> yes yeah, um, and, and the um and 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 i think the other part of it when i'm when i'm listening to this you know, the tools by themselves aren't what's important. It's when you stack the tools. So it's the transformative thinking toolkit becomes an operating system. Yeah. And that yeah. is the that is the higher level version of my interpretation of Dan is you're not just getting a whole bunch of tools because it'd be like just because you get a toolbox filled with tools doesn't mean you can do anything for them. First of all, you have to learn how to think about using tools and know what tools to use in what order and when to use them. And um, I think you have to understand what the transformation you seek is, um, you know, so it's it's potential and possibility that you live inside of as well. So there, yeah. I think let's wrap this one up because uh, okay. I, I've got another one under the belt, but this was super, super fun. Um, it was yeah. a great exploration. I learned a lot today. I got a lot out of it. And, um, you know, just to bring it home, <clears throat> We've created a podcast called Capability Amplifier, and I have learned more about my capability and how to amplify them from these constant discussions with you than any other one of my podcasts. I will accept that. Because the topic, the topic is the takeaway. Yeah. It is. It's... Uh... Uh, and I'll, I'll say the exact same thing. I feel exactly the same way. This has been like, and and I look forward to every episode even more than the last one, which is also a good sign. Right. So it's a positive moving future capability amplifier. Um, good job. Good job. Let's wrap this one up. So I'll, I'll just say to you, listener, viewer, hope you enjoyed this as much as Dan and I did making it. This began originally from uh, Dan was around a couple glasses of wine we were chatting is at his house and and we just started coming up with ideas and i'm like i'm capturing i'm capturing it let's make it so uh we went through our list of uh about a dozen ideas and this is the one that came out on top so um if you enjoyed it please make some comments below and uh give us some nice ratings and share it with someone who you know could use a capability amplifier or a younger person or an older person who may be having an external identity crisis and maybe would have a breakthrough by listening to this and get themselves an upgraded operating system. So that's this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.